You know, last week we started this series called The Church Has Left the Building, and clearly I've left the building, and we can't come back the same. We don't want this time to go by, and we just go through the motions, and we just hope it to be over, and we come back and we're the same as we were. We want to be better. And you know, one, one of the things that we've been looking at in, in this series is this, how can we be better and what does that look like? And we're looking at a letter in the Bible written by a guy named Paul. You know, Paul, most famous missionary in the New Testament, Paul had started this church in Ephesus. And Paul finds himself in prison when he's writing this letter and he's left Timothy in charge of the church. And Timothy is feeling the stress, Timothy is feeling the pressure, Timothy is feeling the weight of what it means to be leading this movement. And Paul wants to be sure that he doesn't lose momentum, that he doesn't lose the mission that Paul started. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and this is what Paul writes. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The title of my message today is Can't Stop With Me. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful that you give us this opportunity to participate in the mission. This mission is to see hope on the move around the world in our neighborhoods and in people that we know in the businesses where we work, with our friends, with our families. And God, that we'd be a people who lets this, um, this coronavirus, this quarantine, this sheltering place, let it change us, God. Let us change us for the better. Let it change us so that we can be more effective in sharing the gospel of the grace of Jesus with the world. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, so much has stopped during this time. You know, it was like we were going down the freeway of life at 70 miles an hour, and all of a sudden somebody slammed on the brakes and our seatbelt grabbed and the seat um, and the airbags deployed and we just came to this stop and we were shocked and we were confused and everything everywhere stopped. I mean, think about everything that stopped. Work stopped. For some people, paychecks stopped. Travel stopped. Vacations stopped. Going to the gym stopped. Haircuts stopped. Getting your nails done stopped. Um, man, going to a restaurant stopped. Going on vacation stopped. Everything seemed to stop. And sometimes when things stop, it can be devastating, can't it? You know, if you just read through history, there are times when things stopped and, and man, it had bad, difficult, nasty results. You know, back in the early 1900s, they actually stopped putting nutrients in bread. They removed the nutrients so that the, they would have a longer shelf life for bread. And what ended up happening is children came down with things like scurvy and pellagra and beriberi. It was devastating for kids. And you know, can you imagine if the church stopped? Can you imagine the devastating effects that it would have? Like, can you imagine the hope that would be lost, the purpose that would be wasted? Man, can you imagine? But the church didn't stop, did it? Man, the church kept going, the mission kept moving forward, and it continues to move forward today. And I think if we can examine why it's moving forward, it will help us to understand what's important when we get back. You know, the church has always moved on two rails. This corporate worship, when we get together, and there's also this, this individual relationship, this life-on-life -life 
investment that happens. You know, today I'm in, I'm in a coffee shop, actually, and, you know, a coffee shop is really symbolic of this life-on-life relationship. When, you, when someone asks you for coffee, or maybe you invite someone to go out for coffee, you're not really going for the coffee. Like, coffee's nice, it's a good byproduct, but you're going for the relationship. You're going because maybe you have a question to ask them. Maybe you're at a crossroads in your career. You know, maybe you have a question about marriage or about parenting or about purpose. And you just want to be able to connect over coffee. Maybe you'd sit in one of these tables here and just have a conversation. But it would be more than a conversation, wouldn't it? It would be a life-on-life investment where someone could pour their life into you, give you their wisdom, talk to you about their mistakes so that you didn't make them. And this life-on-life investment is how God has designed the church. And this is one reason why the church has not stopped its mission, because the church isn't just contained in a building. The church leaves the building in order for the mission to go forward. You know, it can't stop with me. You know, I love how Paul starts out this particular passage. He says, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So Paul tells Timothy, and he tells Timothy, Timothy, you tell somebody else who they can then tell somebody else. There's this multiplication effect that happens. And, and it, some people like to call it the slinky effect. You know, if you remember having a slinky when you were a kid, that you'd kind of get it started going. It looks like this huge spring and it would, the momentum of it moving one direction would make it go again and again and again and it would keep on multiplying its movement. Like this is what life on life discipleship is supposed to look like. So what Paul is doing in this moment is he's giving some practical, intangible um, instructions to Timothy on exactly how to live out the Great Commission. Now, now do, you, do you remember the Great Commission? You remember Jesus gave us the Great Commission? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Something that never stops. We're supposed to make disciples. Now, some people seem to think that you're called to be a disciple. But it's more than that. You're called to make disciples. If we're part of the movement Man, we are called to make disciples. Like, what's a disciple? Like the way that we view it at Stone Creek, it's someone who knows Jesus, follows Jesus, and leads others to do the same. That's what a disciple is. Someone who knows Jesus, has been introduced to Jesus, follows Jesus, looks at how he lived, and does the things that Jesus would do, and then he leads other people to do the same. You know, a few years ago, I was meeting with a consultant, just talked to him about different ministry methods, and I shared with him that this was our definition of disciple. And he shared with me a little concern about this leading others to do the same piece. You know, he, he didn't really think that that was the best idea because he just said, the American church is not going to do that. And I thought to myself, the American church has to do that. It is the great command. It is how the mission moves forward and it can't stop with us. And we need to lead the way in discipleship. Man, our job is not done until it's passed on to somebody else. I like to ask people this question. Where was the gospel going when it got to you? Like, where was the good news of Jesus going when it got to you? It wasn't coming to stop at you. It was going somewhere else. And if it stopped with you, then that's not how it's supposed to work. It was supposed to keep on going. Paul says this, entrust to faithful men, meaning people, men and women, what you heard in the presence of many. You see the context of discipleship, the context of this Jesus conversation is relationship. The context is relationship. Like, haven't you missed being around people 
Like I miss being around people. I miss being around people I like. I miss being around many of you that I don't like. I, I just miss being around people. And here's why. People, number one, they're good for us. They make us better. Don't you love seeing someone you haven't seen for a long time? You're just encouraged. Um, maybe they'll speak some positive words to you. It just lightens your day just to see somebody that you know. And part of being in a life-on-life -life investment is someone who supports you, but also someone who challenges you, someone who shows you your blind spots, someone who helps you be better. Listen, I love being around people for that reason. And so the context of discipleship is relationship. He says, entrust to faithful men. Entrust to faithful men, these words. Now, the word there for entrust means to serve a meal at a table. So you're serving somebody something. You're serving a meal at a table. You know, this... Last weekend, I had the opportunity to run down to Florida to stay with some good friends of mine, and Debbie and I were down there for a couple of days, and one of the things that happens whenever we go to these friends is he always cooks for us, and I'm always like, hey man, let us take you guys out, we'll be able to pay for it and just give you a night off, but he always wants to cook, and he always wants to cook something good, because that's just how he serves us. He loves to cook, and he loves to serve us. You know, and when you have somebody over to your house to eat, and you're gonna cook a meal for them. Listen, you don't look in the refrigerator to find the leftovers. You don't say, hey, I think I've got some chicken hearts in here. You want those? And you go to the, you go to the grocery store, and you find something that you like to cook that you know they'll like, and you do your best to feed them something that's good. And listen, when we know the goodness of God, when we've been rescued, when we know how much purpose, how much strength, how much hope He can give us, listen, we can't help but share that with somebody else. You know, it's a little bit like when you go to a restaurant. I may need to remind you what that's like because it's probably been a while. You know, when you go to a restaurant, there's a lot of people involved in you having a good experience. So you walk in, there's someone there, a host or a hostess who's going to take you to your table, give you your menu. There's going to be someone's going to come give you some water, fill up your water glass. And then there's going to be someone to come over and take your order. And then they'll, there's going to be someone in the kitchen who's going to prepare your order. And there's going to be someone who's going to bring it out to your table. And then there's someone who's going to refill you and be sure that everything's okay. And if at any point along that journey, someone drops the ball, they're a missing link, your experience is bad. It takes a lot of people. It can't stop with one. And this is the image that Paul is giving us of discipleship. Entrust, serve. We need to serve the goodness of God that has been served to us. Entrust with faithful men. And then Paul goes on to give us three different examples of what that looks like with three different people identifying three different characteristics that he wants us to look at in people's lives so that we can be sure that the mission doesn't stop with us. You know, the, if, one thing that Paul would say is if a soldier came into this place and a soldier sat right here across the table from me, then there'd be some things that a soldier would tell me. There would be some things that I could learn from a soldier about the mission of God. Paul says it this way. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, now, Paul knows a little bit about Roman soldiers. Now, Roman soldiers, man, they had this reputation historically of being the most focused, the most demanding soldiers in history. It was legendary, their focus. They would not allow themselves to get distracted with anything else. They were prevented from participating in any other, in any other life outside of the military. You know, it, there's even stories of a soldier who fell asleep on their watch, and they didn't just discharge him from the army. They executed him that morning in front of everybody. 
so they could be sure they did not get distracted. And in this moment, Paul, as I said, he is in a Roman prison and he is literally chained to a Roman soldier. He knows something about soldiers. He knows how they think, he knows how they sleep, he knows how they eat. And a Roman soldier who's chained to a prisoner doesn't have the luxury of being distracted. Because if you can imagine someone who's on the verge of being executed, they got nothing to lose. They can take you out. And so Paul knows they are not taking their eye off the ball. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy and what Paul would say to us is be sure you stay focused on the objective. We need to have relentless focus on the objective. We can't be distracted. You know, I'm, I'm reminded a little bit of this. I was watching The Last Dance over the last couple of weeks. I haven't finished the last episode. Don't ruin it for me. But watching that story of the Chicago Bulls and their journey to win two three-peats that 1998 season. And one of the things that's legendary in that is Michael Jordan's focus on winning. It started in practice, whether you were doing a drill or whether you were scrimmaging all the way to the game and how you finished. The only thing that was on his mind was competing to win. Legendary focus, not being distracted. And that's what Jesus is, that's what God's calling us to. Because when, when we get distracted, the movement stops. Listen, churches over the course of history have gotten distracted. They've gotten distracted from the mission and they've begun to argue about things that really didn't matter. You know, there's, there's those, uh, there's those uh, stories about churches that argued over the carpet color and what kind of seats they were gonna have. And they got their eye off the ball and guess what happened to those churches? They stopped. The, mi the mission stopped with them. Those churches no longer exist. If you wanna know what someone's, how someone's focus is, watch what they fight over. Are they fighting with each other? Are they fighting the enemy? Listen, we can't lose focus. Listen, we live in the age of distractions. Man, we, we live in the age of distractions. And I think one of the things that this pandemic has caused us to do is to recognize and identify those distractions in our lives. Man, what has been distracting you that you've now uncovered? I, one of the things I've been doing is just kind of keeping a list of all the things that I've learned throughout this, um, throughout this lockdown. I hope to share those when we get back together. And I'm so easily distracted. One of my distractions, multitasking. Anybody else got that one? Anybody else trying to multitask? Anybody else talking to someone in your family where you're also looking at your phone and listening to the TV in the background? Listen, we, we tend to multitask and think we can get more done, and guess what? It takes our eye off the ball. Man, another thing that can distract us from the kingdom that Paul is gonna talk to Timothy a little bit later in a different part of his writings to Timothy is money can be a distraction. Paul's not saying that you shouldn't have money, but Paul says just to warn those who are rich in this present world not to put their trust in money. That's what Paul says because he recognizes how much it can distract us. We can begin to depend on it. It can begin to get our attention. We can begin to want to care for it too much. And it's not that we shouldn't have it or shouldn't manage it well, but we should recognize it's, it can be a distraction from the mission God has given us. You know, entertainment can be a distraction. So when we come back, we need to identify the things that we've been distracted by. And I think if a soldier was sitting right here today, he would say, stay focused, on the objective. You know, Paul also talks about an athlete. You know, if an athlete came in here and sat down at this table, like, like what, what advice, what counsel would an athlete give us when it came to making disciples? In 2 Timothy 2 verse 5, he says this, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You know, athletes were pretty uh, famous in this culture. This is where obviously you had the Greek games. There were three rules for an athlete. Number one, you had to be a Greek citizen. 
Number two, you had to pledge before Zeus that you had trained for 10 months. And number three, you had to follow the rules of the event you were participating in. You had to follow the rules. And what Paul knew is that, is that people tend to not follow the rules. They tend to take shortcuts to win the prize. And so what this athlete would say if he were sitting across from me today, he would say, don't take shortcuts. Shortcuts can shortchange your life. Shortcuts can shortchange your life. Now, now there are good and there are bad shortcuts. I think we know that. And the reason why we take a shortcut is to save time, to save effort, and to save ourselves from pain. And listen, who didn't want to avoid pain? You know, we've known athletes that took shortcuts and they ended up losing. Major League Baseball, some of the record holders are athletes who are not in the Hall of Fame. Why is that? It's because some people think they took a shortcut and took performance-enhancing drugs. And what happened is now they're not gonna get the, the, the one thing they probably want more than anything, and that's to be in the Hall of Fame. We have to be careful that we, won't, that we don't take shortcuts to save time, to save effort, or to save pain. Listen, can we just be honest? Relationships are difficult. <laughs> they require time, they require work and effort, and they require pain. Man, to cut short relationships is going to shortchange our lives. If we're going to shortcut relationships, it's going to shortchange our lives. Think if you try to shortcut your relationship in your marriage, that you just kind of went about your life without investing in your spouse, and you thought that maybe a bouquet of flowers or a weekend of golf is going to solve the problem. It's not. It's going to shortchange your relationship. And the same is true when it comes to discipling. You know, maybe this COVID-19 has been a wake-up call for you in the area of relationship. Maybe you, you're, you find yourself at home and you didn't get the phone calls you thought you would get. You haven't gotten the text from anybody. And you really don't have anybody to follow up with, nobody to check in with. And as you look back on it, you realize it's not, it's not that people have forgotten you. It's just that you have, you've shortcutted your relationships. You have spent all your time and effort doing other things and not investing in people. And this should be one way that we are changed, Stone Creek, when we come back. We need a renewed passion to fight for relationship. That's one of our values. We know that we need to fight for relationship with people and to fight for relationship with God himself. We need to be sure that we come back with renewed passion to do that. We can't come back to superficial shallow, shortcut relationships. Man, we can't be content with just waving at somebody across the auditorium and knowing somebody's face but not knowing their name. Man, we gotta fight for relationship. Groups can't be secondary anymore. They gotta be primary. Listen, too much is, stake, is at stake for you to take a shortcut in this area. And I'm hoping and praying that through this time, God has revealed that to you, that it's even more important for your life. Nobody gets to the end of their life, as you know, and wishes that they would have spent more time at work or spent more time at the movie or spent more time doing anything else. What people regret at the end of their life is those deep lasting relationships that they missed out on because they tried to shortcut what God had for them. You know, it takes time, it takes work, it's gonna take some pain, but it's gonna be worth it. Listen, when you get to the end of your life, what are you gonna look back on? What are you gonna wish you had less of? What are you gonna wish you had more of? You're gonna wish you had more relationships. Listen, we can't get distracted and take our eye off the objective. Listen, we can't shortcut relationships. You know, the third thing Paul goes into is this analogy of a farmer. 
Man, if a farmer were to walk in here and he were to sit right across from me, there are some things a farmer would say that would help me to know the value of not stopping the mission. He would give me some instruction in that. And here's what Paul says about the farmer. He said, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, now here's the thing about farming. Farming's hard work. Some of you guys out there are farmers. You know, it is hard work. Like you have to get up early before the sun is up. Some of you didn't know that was even a thing. It is a thing. <laughs> you get up early and you get to work and you work out in the open. You don't come in where it's climate controlled. If you come in where it's climate controlled, you're not farming, you're gardening. And you have to get messy and dirty, whether it's animals or whether it's plants, it doesn't matter. And it's hard work and you work till late in the day because you gotta get it all in in the season when things can grow and things can be planted and things can be watered and all those things. Man, it's hard work. It is also mundane and boring. Like think about a soldier for a minute. Like you're a soldier, I'm not saying it's fun by any stretch, but it definitely is an adrenaline rush. You definitely are always on your P's and Q's. You definitely always have something going. And then if you're an athlete, you always get celebrated and worship if you win. And if you're a farmer, what do you do? You walk inside and tell your wife, hey, my corn grew an inch today. Man, <laughs> like, if it's so much hard work, if it's so mundane, like, why do it? Man, what's the, what's the point? And we see what Paul says, it's the focus on the harvest. It's the focus on the harvest. Hey, hey stop what you're doing right now and listen. Man, look, look, look right now at your screen. Hard work produces a harvest. Hard work produces a harvest. I'm not saying you have to work for your salvation, and we know that God gives that, but sometimes what we do is we like, we believe in grace, and we just think, I can just get my fire insurance policy from God, and I don't have to worry about anything else. We have been given so much that God wants us to give him our lives so that the mission doesn't stop. Hard work produces a harvest and the harvest is people. Like people need you. Without you, someone could live without God. People need you to provide hope. People need you to bring the message. This is God's method for spreading the message and for his movement not to stop. It is people like me and people like you right where you are in your neighborhood, your places of work discipling people, investing in relationships, talking to people about how God can work in their life, helping them to be better. Listen, people are the harvest. We spend a lot of time working hard at a lot of things, if we're honest. You know, we work hard at our vocation. We work hard at our job. Some of us have been at home over these last few months. We've been working hard on some projects around the house. We work hard at a hobby. We work hard at raising our kids. And God wants us to work hard at the mission that he's given us. So let me just ask you this, like, like where is your harvest? If you think about the people that you are engaged with right now, who is it that you're investing in? Who is it that's receiving wisdom from you? Who is it that you're talking to about what God's doing in your life? Who is it that you're providing hope for, you're answering questions for? Like, like who is your harvest? You know, just uh, a week ago, over a little over a week ago, Ravi Zacharias passed away, you know, one of the great apologists. And when I see someone like that pass away, I just think of the harvest that he had in the lives of people. And I want to be able for us to have a harvest that God will be pleased with. You know, you know quarantine, man, it, it can't stop discipleship. We may have left the building, but the mission still moves forward. And I do believe the reason why we've been able to keep moving forward is because of the groundwork of discipleship that we've had over the last couple of years. 
You know, don't forget it's discipleship in the context of relationship. I think the soldier would say, keep your eye on the objective. Don't get distracted. And the athlete would say, don't short circuit relationships or you'll short change your life. And the farmer and the farmer would say, hard work produces a harvest. Now, let me just ask you this question. Who do you need to have a quarantine coffee with? Who do you need to sit across the table from and talk about God, the work of God? I want you right now, right where you are, to think of one person. I just want you to think of one person that you know you need to have a quarantine coffee with. You know, there may be this one person that you know you should have shared about what God's done in your life. You should have told him about the hope that you're finding and what God's, how God's growing you and your family and your joy and your peace. But, you know, you waited a time or two and then it got too far away from it and it feels awkward now. I, I believe that that may be the person that's your quarantine coffee, that that's the person God's calling you to reach out to, to sit across the table from and to just share and just to say, hey, you know what? This, I should have shared with you a long time ago and I'm sorry I didn't, but I love you too much not to share it with you now. You know, it could be someone that, that you're on the outs with. Maybe there was a conflict and you don't even know what happened, but you haven't followed up with them in forever. And, and you know, you just need to call and apologize or you just need to call and say, hey, you know what? We used to hang out and I, and, and I don't like that we don't anymore. Is there anything that I need to repent of? And you just need to just ask them and then just begin to share the work that God's done in your life. You know, it could be someone that you just forgot about. It just kind of went off your radar and you just kind of let them go. But every now and then they come back to your mind and you think about reaching out, but you don't. Maybe that's your one. Like, who is your one? Who's the one person that you need to reach out to so you can begin to help them so that you can be a person who was entrusted with the message of the goodness of God and you entrusted it to somebody else who's going to keep it going. It can't stop with you. I just want to close with this quote from a pastor named Tommy Nelson. You know, Tommy Nelson was a pastor in North Texas and, you know, he was pretty prominent in that area. And uh, it, it said that Tommy had this quote. He says, I want 20 year old pallbearers at my funeral, young men with tears in their eyes, carrying my lifeless body, thanking God for the deposit I put into their souls. If you live a life like that, it won't stop with you. Let's pray together. God, we're just amazed. I'm amazed that you just allow us to be able to invest in people and you've trusted us with this mission that it won't stop. And God, that you've given us the dignity of just being able to tell people about you, to help them grow towards you, to help their lives to look like Jesus. And God, I pray that as we are quarantined now, but as we are just letting you teach us and shape us for when we get back together, God, you would just be burying deep within us this passion for discipleship. God, to have life-on-life -life relationships, that we would quit watching so much TV and that we wouldn't worry about the commute, that we would leverage technology, that we wouldn't worry about the game that's coming on or the next episode or the next Netflix series, God, but that we would not be distracted from the mission, the objective, and that's to make disciples. God, that we would recognize when we shortchange relationships, we're gonna shortchange our life. When we take a shortcut that you don't want us to take, um, that we're, gonna, we're not gonna be better for it, we're gonna be worse off. And that God, we would work hard and we'd be committed no matter what it took. We'd give the time, we'd give the effort, and we would give, the, we would give up the pain, God, to really lean in and to see people know you. And God, that it wouldn't stop with us. That we'd be a generation that just captured the passion of the early church to see this movement go forward. 
God, we're grateful. And God, I pray for anyone who's never really stepped into a relationship with you, never decided to follow you, God, that, man, they would just decide today that this is the day they're going to follow you. This is the day they're going to commit. This is the day they're going to get in the game. God, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.